Folks, welcome to this week's episode of The Boundless Show. This is Lisa Anderson, and we are fully into fall. I will now officially support those of you drinking pumpkin spice lattes. Um, I was not willing to speak to you the prior month and a half, so that's just full disclosure on that one. But uh, in addition to that, we've got a great show ahead of you, and so I'm going to give you a little preview. For our inbox, we have a guy who's asking, if I go on a first date with a girl and don't think it's going to go anywhere, should I still give it another chance? chance? Well, one of our counselors will weigh in on that. And that's a great dating question, something we deal with here all the time. And then for our culture segment, Dr. Julie Slattery, also a friend of Boundless, uh, she is here to answer questions kind of rapid fire that you have sent in about, let's be honest, sex, sexuality, purity, purity culture, all of this. This is her realm of expertise. So she is going to be here for it. So be ready for that. Okay, but first up, here we are for our round table. I am going to welcome to the table, Ryan, Bree, and John. Hey, you guys. Hello. Howdy. Good to have you here because we are going to have a conversation on creative gift giving. And not just creative gift giving. We've talked about this before, like around the holidays, but this was kind of born out of a conversation that Bree and I were having about, we're just going to be honest, her weirdness around receiving <laughs> gifts. She said she's a terrible gift receiver, I am, yeah. which I haven't actually heard many people admit before. We all talk about how we're terrible gift givers, or we're not creative, or we don't know what to do, or, you know, whatever. And all the you know, our parents and every one of our married friends are always like, he just gave me a pan for Christmas. Okay, well, get <laughs> that is like, that's a problem that we can't even solve in 20 minutes, you guys. But um, I think some of the bigger ones, or some of the bigger, more philosophical questions around this are like, what does it look like to really want to gift someone? You know, we know that in the five love languages, gifts is one of them. So sometimes we have obligatory gifts we have to give for birthdays and holidays and whatnot. So I hope you all are ready to just talk about this. So, Well, I am not. <laughs> is it? <but laughs> okay, kidding. so speaking of love languages, are gifts in any of our love languages? No. Okay, Bree's a hard pass on this. <laughs> okay, so that's not surprising. Not nope. And not, you're just not, even you do it because you have to, kind of. Yeah. Oh, so are you saying how I love somebody or how Both. I feel love? Because they say that like your love language, you also like try to express that to other people. It's hard. Oh, sure. you know, it's easier. Yeah. It's than a for other sure ones. no on both of those. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Thanks for your honesty. Okay. Just for clarification, <laughs> right. uh, no, it's both. Uh, no. <laughs> um, yeah. So receiving gifts is not one of my love languages, but giving gifts actually is. That's actually something I rather yeah. enjoy. Okay. I just attach people to like two or three things and I, whenever i see that thing out i'm like oh this ah. is their thing i'm gonna get that for them so you're the person check. that buys somebody owls everything yeah. owls when they say owls <laughs> they are their favorite owls. owls is not esoteric enough i need like someone to fall in love with gnomes <laughs> and frogs and then i'm like okay great i'm gonna get you like the but Every very odd Whoa. gnomes and frogs okay like someone's grandma probably has so you can certainly follow up on that <laughs> but okay i will say we're gonna have to check with Gary Chapman on this, the creator of the love languages, because I don't even know, Ryan, if you can be a giver of one, you know, specializing one giving and then receiving is a different one. That is way out of the box. We're going to have to talk about that later. I don't know. I've never heard <laughs> we'll someone say We'll just invite him that. on the pod. <laughs> yeah, exactly. He has been on it. He's talked about it before. So, but we'll get into that. John, how about you as far as gift giving? 
I enjoy giving gifts, but I would not say that it's one of my love languages per se because it is fun. Um, I'm actually just coming off a very busy wedding season, so I've been giving a lot of gifts to people in their registries, which has been really good time. But I'm a words of affirmation person, so the gifts that have really stuck with me actually would be cards hmm. because I actually have a whole bag in my room of cards I've saved over the years mm-hmm. of nice things that people have written to me. Oh, that's awesome. Okay, so I will have to actually give a shout out here to my friend Karma, who listens. So Karma, hello. Um, She is someone who is like, if you give me a gift, if you do not give me a card, and it has a handwritten note in it that is somewhat substantive, don't even give me a gift. So that's very (laughs) akin to what John is saying of Mm -hmm. like, she it is so meaningful for her to receive something personal and kind of like a yeah, just words of and she's a great card writer as well. So um, so that is interesting how that plays out in that kind of way. Okay, so what then, if we're going to enter into the world of gifts, which I think, I mean, have any of you with anyone in your life been able to have just kind of like a, a truce, a stalemate on the whole gift giving situation where you've come to understandings of stuff? Or are you kind of caught up in this vortex of like, it's necessary, we got to do it. What does this look like? <laughs> Brie, you're kind of nodding. Yeah. <laughs> My husband and I have definitely come to a place where we have an understanding when it comes to gifts because he knows that I am pretty terrible at it. And when I say that I'm terrible at receiving gifts, it's because he's not getting the reaction that he wants out of me when I receive gifts. Okay. And so what we've come up with are kind of two different things. We have like a regular gift that's kind of, we call it like the ideal gift of if you want to randomly love on one another, you get them coffee, flowers, some form of chocolate, or maybe like a sweet treat. Um, and maybe something, oh, a candle. We always love candles. So it's like that little package of gifts that you can just give on like a random Tuesday and just show each other that you love each other and that you were thinking of them. And then as far as like Christmas gifts for me, (laughs) it paints me (laughs) out to be a not great gift receiver as I have already claimed that I am. And that's that my husband has realized that for any Christmas gift that he gives me, he actually has found success in showing the gift to me early on in December and then letting me like think about it of like, do I like this? Do I not? And if I like it, then I'm the one who wraps it, puts it under the tree, and then I open it. And I am ecstatic when I open it on Christmas Day because I know it was coming and I'm ready for it. <laughs> so the whole, like, you were just a terrible, like, surprised face person. I suppose so, Like, yeah. you just can't muster up the right, quote-unquote, reaction. No. Even though it's something that, it's not because it's not, it's something you don't like. Clearly, you just True. need to build anticipation. Yeah, yeah. I never it. practiced my surprise face when, for a proposal <laughs> or anything. <gasps> like, <laughs> well, now we're going to have to, we're going to have to have you recreate that at some point and see how that goes, so... Okay. Any other gift giving or receiving protocols that you guys have in your life? I mean, as far as what does that look like? I have found it varies from person to person. Okay. And something that I really try to look for is what is a gift that is going to be meaningful for a certain friend or family member? Because it, it really does vary from person to person. I'll give you a great example. I've talked about on the show how I love NASCAR. So Mm -hmm. if somebody got me NASCAR tickets, I'd be absolutely over the moon. My mom was not that way at all. So (laughs) for her, when her birthday came around, it was pretty much a guarantee that if me or one of my brothers got her 
flowers or we got her a gift card to her favorite bookstore or if we got her hot tea those were a win okay so i've found that sometimes it just takes a while to get to know people and the more that you get to know somebody and you find out okay what is it that they want what is it that they like and then you get that for them that goes a really really long way mm-hmm. yeah that's good i find that like for me i really like and you're talking about hot tea and stuff like this was helpful in prompting this for me, consumables are always a win mm-hmm. because I find them very useful. And if mm-hmm. I know that it's something I like, like especially when people travel places and they're like, oh, we want to get you, you know, something from whatever. I'm like, please don't get me some carved turtle from who knows what island that you went to that I will probably never go to and I don't care about it. Um, but you get me like some local coffee or something that I can just down and like sample and be like, hey, this is amazing. I'm going to be super excited about that. So um, in fact, I was just on a trip, my summer hurrah vacation to the Gulf Coast of Florida. And I actually bought in a specialty shop, a balsamic vinegar olive oil combo where they had all these flavors. So because I'm just a curator of amazing things, that is not even true. I'm just trying to give myself credit. Um, one of them was coconut flavored and one was lime. And so then I went out and bought some French bread and I had some friends over and I was like, hey, try this. So it was super fun and it was very unique like to the area. But I think consumables can often be a win in that space to to your point about your mom, John. I think that's a good a good idea. So what I mean, straight up, just one of the best gifts you've ever received. How did someone win in this space for you? What did that look like? Well, this is a pretty simple one. Uh, but it was one that I didn't see coming and it did match my personality pretty well. Uh, my friends and roommates, they, they bought me, uh, is a married couple. They bought me a crusader helmet and some crusader gauntlets to go with the helmet. Um, and they, uh, marked it up as, uh, their security system. So, uh, if anything ever happened, uh, Ryan would just put on the helmet and the gauntlets <laughs> and that would, you know, that's how the problem gets taken care of. And so, um, even though it wasn't something that like, was like on the list or we had talked about or something like that. It just, they, when I was asking them about it later, they just went down this rabbit hole of like all these side thoughts of like, okay, what is something that fits Ryan's personality, but doesn't, he's not going to see coming. And the fact that they went through that thought process, like that was pretty special to me. I Mm -hmm. still, I still have that. They're still at my house. I know exactly where they're at my room right now. (laughs) Have you ever used them? Yeah. Oh, okay. I've scared two Amazon drivers pretty bad. Wow. (laughs) Well, that's, that's great. Well, that's just a win right there. How about you, John? Two that immediately come to my mind were actually both from my mother. And one was actually one that she didn't give to me. It was to my dad. And this was, it was really cool that I got to observe this. It was for Father's Day. And it was not long after his dad, my grand passed away on that side of the family and so it had been kind of a tough time for him well my dad's favorite bible verse is isaiah 40 31 that those who wait on the lord shall renew their strength they'll mount up on wings like eagles and my mom actually got him a framed picture of an eagle with that verse on it and he hung it over his office desk which was really cool and I actually brought one of the cards that my mom wrote me. So this was for my 24th birthday. This was the second gift that I was going to bring up. And I've I've tried to keep as many cards, especially ones that have my mom's handwriting Mm -hmm. on them. And this is what she wrote me for my 24th birthday. It says, Dear John, 
Your birthday is a special day because you are so special. We are so grateful for you and excited to watch. God bless you. Even though we won't be with you in person, you are always in our hearts. Your gift will be there soon. Smiley face. Love you so much and looking forward to seeing you next month. Mm. So I love keeping birthday cards like that, um, especially from her, just because knowing she's in heaven now mm-hmm. and, hey, I've still got a piece of her with me every yeah, day. That's mm-hmm. amazing. Bree, how about you? Um, so one kind of gift that I am okay at receiving is experiential gifts. Mm-hmm. So kind of like your consumables are always a good go-to gift for you. Mm-hmm. And experience is a good gift for me. Yeah. Or something that promotes an experience. And so my husband one year bought me a paddleboard. Mm. And so that has like given me the opportunity to go paddleboarding on various lakes throughout Colorado. I haven't taken it out of state yet, but mm-hmm. it like is a gift that keeps on giving. Mm-hmm. You know, That's really great. I had a couple of friends surprise me one year and take me um, to one of the mountain towns west here in Colorado and do like a weekend experience, just a fun girls weekend. And that was really a blast. We went to hot springs. We went to this adventure park kind of thing. So it was really cool all around. And it was quality time, which is another one of my uh, love languages. So <laughs> it kind of played into to all of those things really well. And then I didn't end up with just random carved turtles or other things that were going to collect dust around my place. And let's be honest, they wouldn't collect dust. They would have been put in the giveaway box. Blessings. <laughs> um, anyway, so <laughs> I just realized in full disclosure, I better be honest about that and not act like I would display it. So, Okay. What um what do you feel about like generosity in general? Let, let's talk a little bit about this of what, you know, what is meaningful because some people their love language is gifts or they may feel extremely thought of or loved or whatever with actual gifts, but then if it's kind of not your thing, you can be a little bit bitter about it or it can just extend beyond the necessary times of like like Bree, I like your example of just like there might be a random day where you just want to encourage one another, you and your husband or whatever. Um, what are other ways that we can be generous and give gifts to people in ways that are super meaningful? That's such a great question because I know some of the greatest memories that I have are when people would call me up out of the blue or text me and just say, hey, I'm praying for you today. Mm-hmm. And maybe they had no idea that, man, that was the very, very thing that I needed was just that word of encouragement. Like I said earlier, my love language is words of affirmation. So that definitely cuts pretty deep when I've gotten encouraged and that sort of thing. Honestly, some of the greatest gifts that I have found really came unexpectedly, maybe just out of simple get-togethers with family or friends, and we ended up just making the most of the opportunity. Um, One of the things that I enjoyed doing as a teenager was playing Ultimate Frisbee. Mm -hmm. So sometimes just getting together with guys and with my family and friends was extremely fun because we would get so in the zone and we would burn calories in the process and get lots of exercise. But You mentioned that one of your love languages is quality time. Sometimes just giving our time to people and being willing to make memories is one of the best gifts we can give, if not Mm -hmm. the best gift we can give. Yeah, that's great. I think kind of like Ryan was saying earlier about kind of locking away things in your brain. That's kind of how I like to give gifts. 
again, it's not one of my strengths, but it's something that I'm really working on is figuring out something that's really special to somebody. Like I've locked away in my brain that Lisa likes consumables. Okay, I'm going to get her some something like that for Christmas or just a random Tuesday. You know, mm-hmm. we always say about Tuesday. Forget about Wednesday. It's always Tuesday. Um, but anyways, anyways um, I recently, one of my friends moved away and I asked her to give me a list of her favorite things. Well, really, I asked her, I was like, what's your favorite food? Okay, write that down. What's your favorite candy? Write that down. Mm -hmm. And my intention with that was that I could give her like a welcome home box or a housewarming present kind of thing. Or when I saw her next, I could give her one of her favorite things that I knew for sure she would enjoy Mm -hmm. because nobody wants to give a gift that's not well received. So I'd rather give you something that you actually love than just some random Mm -hmm. turtle, carved Mm -hmm. turtle. So, (laughs) Mm -hmm. um So that's kind of how I like to give gifts. I like to lock away things in my brain and then let it show up randomly. I'm not good at birthdays. I never remember anybody's birthdays or celebrate them on that day unless I'm invited to a party. I know it makes it sound like I'm not a really good friend, but I am, I promise. Um, (laughs) It's all good. (laughs) um, All that to say, I like to give gifts randomly. And so locking away things in my brain like that, I can just on a random Thursday give somebody a gift yeah, that's great <laughs> um i think making it a regular practice to gift your time gift your money gift whatever you can to someone else is something that every christian should have i think we often get caught you know caught up in our you know me my four and no more <laughs> and while that's a good thing you should take care of your family you should take care of your business i think taking care of others in a way that they want to be taken care of is something that is called upon us in Matthew, it talks about like, you know, you cannot serve two masters for you will love one and hate the other. What I've found is that people often hold on so tight to things that is valuable to them, such as time, such as money, things like that. And when you don't make it a practice to regularly sacrifice those things, that's that's kind of like, an, that's that's a big word to use for this. But when you don't make it a regular practice to sacrifice those things or to give it to others, you start valuing that more and more and more. And it can become a very self-centered thought process. So whether it's, you know, dedicating time to serving others and not in the fun, glorious ways of like, yeah, okay, I'll serve this church, but only if I'm on stage and only if everyone sees me. It's like, I'll serve this church when it means scrubbing toilets (laughs) or I'm going to go out of my way to buy somebody a gift and not just the gift that like, you know, is very quick and easy to get, but maybe something that's thoughtful, maybe something that's expensive, or at least quality. Expensive doesn't have to be that, just quality is one of those. I think when you start to do that, you start to break those little holds that the world starts to get into you of just, you know, you need to look out for yourself. You need to look out for, you know, those that you're responsible for. You need to look out for your time. You need to look out for your money. That's how you kind of stay balanced, I think. Mm-hmm. That's a very deep reason to just buy somebody a frog sticker, but <laughs> doing little things like that, that way you don't have to go to like these huge movements of trying to break those things off you. Mm-hmm. That's good. And that actually brings me to one of my favorite topics, which is the idea of creating margin in your life on a number of different levels. And I think financially is one of those. And I often say, especially when I speak to college students about setting up budgets and what that looks like, you know, and it's hard one. I mean, when you're younger, you're just like scraping by and stuff. And it's mm-hmm. like, oh my goodness, can I even like pay my rent and stuff? But eventually like doing that and watching your own stewardship and being vigilant in that 
like for me, for example, there are some things I'm super cheap about. And there are things that I could, you know, probably buy for myself and probably do. And I'm like, just not going to do it. And as a result, I build up margin that allows me to bless other people in ways Mm -hmm. that, you know, maybe they wouldn't expect. So like a fun um, retreat or event coming up and I get to gift a friend, you know, registration to that who I know could not afford it on their own or something or a partial or something like that. And just coming up with creative ways of being like, hey, you know, this is I've got you on this or this is something or taking, you know, going out with friends and I can just pick up the bill or do something, you know, like that because I have chosen to, you know, sometimes it's almost like um, hilarious when I joke about how cheap I can be about some things. I'm like, (laughs) let me just tell you, y'all, if that Qdoba buy one, get one is happening, I will know about it, okay? (laughs) And I'm not even ashamed. So I'm just saying. So yeah, but it just makes it fun because then you can be like, you can prioritize stuff like that or even stuff that we already have, like Ryan alluded to this, like our stuff. I'm just like, why do I need three of XYZ? I really don't. So who needs them? You know, who needs two? <laughs> and so just being creative in that way makes it really fun too. So, um, well, any other last like down and dirty tips for folks as we finish it out with creatively giving gifts heading into, people have a few months to get into Christmas. So I don't want anyone to be stressed out about this. I have found a lot of joy just by partnering with other people in ministry. I've got a couple friends right now that I'm privileged to be able to sponsor them in their ministry work. Mm -hmm. So I would definitely recommend if you're looking for a good starting place for generosity, start by asking the question, who can I help, Lord, and then see who he brings across your path. And there's other charities out there and organizations that are doing fantastic work. Um, I know Compassion has the option to sponsor a child overseas, Mm -hmm. which is fantastic. One of the ones that I give to is A21 campaign, which helps human trafficking victims Mm -hmm. and Mm -hmm. really love a lot of the work they're doing. Um, you could always give to Boundless, but <laughs> that's our favorite. I was going to say but. that if you didn't. So, so boundless.org, hit the donate button. But yeah, at, at the end of the day, I mean, ultimately, as Christians, generosity is something we're not just called to do. It's something we're called to be mm-hmm. because every resource we have here on this earth is a temporary thing. But the generosity we can extend has eternal value. Yeah. And um, I, I would just encourage people, start by looking at, hey, where can I contribute to God's kingdom? Even if it's 10 or $15 a month, it mm. doesn't have to be much. Yeah, that's yeah. great. I may have one too many, but I'm going to try to run through them quickly. Okay. Uh, one, start early. Procrastination is not your friend when it comes to gifts because you always end up settling. Two, partnership is very powerful. Uh, if you can't think of a really good quality gift to get somebody, mm. maybe try to find a few other friends that might also want to give that. We recently had a friend who he was not looking for a suit, you know, had no reason for a suit or anything like that. But we just thought like, hey, you know, like you're, you're, you're in your mid-20s. It's time for you to have a really nice quality suit. So uh, a few of us got together and we bought him like a really nice suit, one that he can like, you know, be proud of to wear, not just like, you know, your dad's hand-me-down that like the sleeves are too long. Like it was, it was a very nice suit and it was expensive, but because it was split between a few of us, it really wasn't all that bad on any one of us. Okay. Three, try to get obsessive about their hobbies, not throughout the year, but if mm-hmm. you can, if you can't think of a good quality gift to get them, think about what hobbies they have and just try to go down like a one rabbit hole uh, and you'll find something that is very useful there. Uh, and four, if you're, you mentioned budgets earlier, a lot of people, they budget everything they have so perfectly and they have that 10% tithe and that's great. But <clears throat> I'm trying to say this without saying anything too sacrilegious or trying to stir too many waters, but 
just because you pay a tithe does not mean you have a generous heart. So not just putting the tithe aside, which you should do, please tithe, um, but also allowing for generosity to be in there. If your budget is superseding your ability to be generous to somebody, then that means that money is ruling your life. Mm. Even if you put the zeros and the ones on the paper and you are the one telling telling money where to go, if you are constantly restricted by your budget to the point where you can't buy somebody a gift, then money is actually running your life even if you started the process. Mm-hmm. I think the only thing I would add is that God loves us like a father does. And though I know a lot of our listeners might not have kids just yet, um, I know like something that my husband and I do for our kids, like when I know that my daughter loves something, that's like all I want to do. I want to lean into that. I want to purchase things for her or I just want to celebrate what she celebrates and I want to love what she loves. And I would just encourage people to listen to your friends, like actually be engaged just like Ryan was saying, pay attention to them, lock things away in your brain, even keep a note on your phone or something of like, oh, they mentioned this this one time because I promise you, though I... I'm not super great at gifts. I am very rarely exceptionally incredible at them. And my goal is to make people cry when I give them <laughs> a gift. And I'm That's a good been, goal. I've been successful so far with my husband, but it's because I lock away things in my brain and I'm like, oh, I know he would love this because I pay attention to what he loves and yeah, that's just that's my recommendation. Just listen to your friends yeah. and love on them. Yeah, that's perfect. And I think so much of it is the heart posture you're coming yeah, at it absolutely. from. Absolutely. So that's you know, it's not the amount spent, it's not the amount of research you put into it, though that helps. Mm-hmm. Um, but it really is like, man, just you remembering, you mm-hmm. marking a period in time, you saying, "I'm thinking of you. I want to honor you," and you're looking them in the eye and just saying, "You matter to me." So. Yeah. You guys, thanks so much for this wisdom. That's awesome insight. Of course. Thank you, Lisa. I was in the dark all alone. I could barely breathe. This heart I'm tethered to all I've known felt so incomplete. The darkness fades. My soul Well, folks, we're here for this week's culture segment. We are fresh into October at this point, and uh, you know that October is great. Some of you are super fall fans, and we've been doing a fair amount of like mixing it up lately with guests and topics and kind of getting into some more some deeper stuff. You know, a lot of people think of the fall as like the second New Year's where you're refreshing your life, you're kind of digging deeper, a lot of personal growth goes on. And so today's culture segment is no exception because we have got 
one of our besties, Dr. Julie Slattery, back here. Julie, it's so great to have you here. Welcome. Thank you. I'm so glad to be on with you again, Lisa. (laughs) Well, it's our privilege. And uh, I was telling her a little bit beforehand, um, you know, we've been, we just came off of a month of celebrating our 25th anniversary here at Boundless, which is shocking. Uh, Some of you listeners weren't even alive when Boundless started, so we're not even going to get into that. But um, what is really cool is when we have some of our favorites on, and you know, we've done this with our friend Gary Thomas, we've done it with Jonathan Bacluda, we've done it with some other folks. Folks, we love to just give them a barrage of questions that you have asked and basically make them answer them because we don't we don't know, you know, it's probably something that I can't answer. And so we need like bona fide experts to come in. Well, Julie is one of those people. And so um, we're going to give her kind of a, a Q&A uh, quick questions here today. Although, you know, some of you got you guys submitted great questions. I'm going to be honest and just say that. So um, for those of you who don't know, uh, Julie, she's been on the show multiple times. And she's also written for us, including our sex series, which you guys need to go back and find. We're going to put the links in the show notes, um, in addition to a bunch of other articles for us. But she is the president and co-founder of Authentic Intimacy, which is a ministry devoted to reclaiming God's design for sexuality. And many of you know, whether you are single, engaged, married, whatever, this applies to all of us. Um, She also launched sexualdiscipleship.com, which is really kind of a platform that helps Christian leaders teach biblical truth about sex and sexual issues. So a great resource for folks there. She's also a podcast host, Java with Julie. I've had the privilege of being on with her. And so I'm going to stop talking. She is from Ohio. Everyone can write in and talk about whether they love or hate Ohio. Don't even get into my business about it. But um, Julie, in addition to all that, you're such a great resource for us and such a heart for the Lord in in addressing so many of these things in our culture today. So I'm going to jump right in if that's okay with you. Yeah, that sounds great. Okay. So all of these questions are in your wheelhouse. You are our person who I feel has said so much in this realm that is so great and biblically grounded and also practical. Um, And in fact, guys, uh, listen up, because at the end, we want to make a copy of Julie's book, Rethinking Sexuality, available to you. So make sure you hang in there and figure out uh, with us how to get that, I will tell you. So Julie, the first question that we got from one of our listeners, they are asking, what are some guidelines for how I can appropriately talk about sex with my fiance as we prepare for marriage? Yeah, um, well, good question. Yeah, I think, first of all, when you're engaged, it's really important um, to be talking about your past sexual histories. And that can be intimidating. If you feel like there's a lot to work through there, you might want to even do that with a counselor. But you want to go into marriage knowing, okay, what's your story? What's your story of sex? Not just hey, I made mistakes that I regret, or I'm struggling with pornography, or I have a history of trauma. Those things are important. But I think also, what did you learn about sex? Uh, What do you think were healthy messages? What were unhealthy messages? And so really kind of bringing to light some of the history that you're bringing into your sex life would be great. And going through some books or resources that help you get a godly perspective of sexuality are also that's also something that's going to be helpful, not just talking about the past, but also how do we get a, a more healthy biblical perspective. Now, as you get close to um, the wedding, those would be conversations that you want to have that are more specific in terms of 
expectations of sexuality. Um, you know, unfortunately, the truth is a lot of Christian couples uh, are already sexually active together before they get married. And so that's a conversation that you want to have with a counselor, a premarital counselor, like even if, hey, we're committed to God's design for sexuality, how do we navigate the fact that we're already having sex? Um, should we stop having sex until we get married? Uh, what are expectations once we get married about sexuality? So I think all those kinds of conversations are going to help prepare you for um, what your life is going to be like in this area once you do get married. Yeah, that's so good. And I like how you bring in the idea of it's okay to maybe have some of those, especially those later conversations with a counselor or someone who really can help you get specific and address some things so that it's not so, you know, either overly intimate or gets weird, or you just maybe have those extra ears to put on that and help you hash through some stuff. I really like that. Yeah, yeah, that's really true, Lisa. I mean, these conversations, even once you're, you've been married for many years, uh, are often laden with shame or blaming or you're bringing this into the marriage and I, I'm not bringing it. So like kind of judgmental and it's really good to have a counselor to help you navigate some of those undertones that might come through. Yeah, true. Okay, well, that's actually a great lead into the next question we received from a listener, um, which I think is so often asked. And our listener is wondering, how do you process and accept a spouse's sexual past, specifically, you know, when it's something that you don't share, or it's something that involved a lot of sexual sin? Yeah, you know, I think, first of all, we've got to remember that uh, in Christ, the ground is level at the cross. And the truth is that all of us are bringing sin patterns into marriage. Not all of us are bringing sexual sin patterns, but you might be bringing sin patterns of self-righteousness or anxiety or, uh, you know, real insecurity about your body image that have played out for you throughout the years. And so I think we've got to begin with the fact that, hey, we all have received grace from the Lord and he is uh, taking us each on a journey of what it looks like to have a life that's surrendered to the Lord. And so that really doesn't give us leverage to say to our spouse, you're bringing more baggage into this than I am. Uh, you know, that in a Christian marriage, that kind of language shouldn't exist. You know, that's a very worldly way of seeing things. But I will say that uh, for all of our, our wounds and our baggage and our sin patterns, all of that, the question is more, what are you doing to grow? And so there's a big difference between somebody who has a sexual past and has never really dealt with it and uh, may still be dabbling in that versus someone who says, no, like, that was my old life. Uh, I am doing the healing work that needs to be done. I'm getting the kind of help and accountability that I need. You know, like, if, if your spouse has that attitude then together you just want to follow Christ and you just want to be honest about the things that you struggle with without any judgment. But again, if it's if you're married to somebody who is still dabbling in those things, is not dealing with the past, that's a concern of, hey, we really need to get some help and counseling and perspective on this because it is going to play into our intimacy today. Hmm. Yeah, absolutely. I, you know, again, just such great practical advice. I love that. And really something that, you know, is not, it's very prevalent at this point of needing to have that conversation and all of us needing to get healing from a number of things from our past. So great insight there. Mm -hmm. 
All right. Next question. Um, this person is kind of, you know, I, I think we're looking at scriptures like where it says God brings beauty from ashes and he's a restorer of broken things. Um, our listener is asking, basically implying like God doesn't always heal us physically. We know that everything from cancer to, um, you know, other illnesses to even the physical effects of trauma and whatnot. So they're saying, well, then why would God heal us spiritually and from past brokenness, including sexual brokenness? Yeah, boy, that's a very insightful question. You know, there's a distinctive difference between our physical bodies and our spiritual selves. And even when Jesus healed people physically when he was on earth, he often would say, I'm healing physically so that you know that I have the power to forgive sin, or I have the power to heal spiritually. And uh, and the spiritual is eternal. The physical is not. Uh, we read in, in Paul's letter to the Corinthians that we live in a tent that's constantly groaning, it's wearing out. And so ultimately, like here on earth, our bodies are going to decay. They're never going to be physically perfect. But he says, but inwardly, we're being renewed day by day into the image of Christ. And so there is more promise and more clarity in the promise of what God wants to do to us spiritually in terms of setting us free. Uh, You know, I also see that sexual issues are issues of spiritual bondage and warfare. So if you have sexual brokenness, there is a 100% chance that you believe lies based on that brokenness. You know, lies like... Uh, I can never be fully cleansed, God can never really forgive me, or I can't trust other people, or I can't trust God. And we know that the spiritual realm is about replacing truth um, for those lies. And so, uh, you know, I really believe that God's heart is to redeem and to heal our sexual brokenness. And I do think that there's a difference between when I use those two words, heal, heal and redeemed. You know, sometimes healing really looks more like redemption. It's not that the scars of that brokenness just disappear, but it's that God has infused meaning into even the suffering that our sexual brokenness has caused us. And I've seen that happen in so many lives where, you know, they've people have suffered through abuse, they've suffered through betrayal, and it's not like those wounds are completely gone, but through the healing process, the individual is able to say, I can see the good that God has done even through my wounds. And, uh, you know, in some ways that is just such a supernatural work of God to be able to say what Satan meant for harm. I've actually seen how God has begun to use for my good. Yeah. I'm so glad you brought in the First Corinthians passage because I was thinking of, of that as you started answering the question. And it reminded me, too, of uh, Job 19, you know, where he says, even after my skin is destroyed in my flesh, I will see God. And that whole idea of like what is eternal versus what is temporary. And so um, pretty cool. Okay, here's a here's a great question um, that applies, I think, really to many of our listeners because we hear this one often. Uh, She's asking, I lost my virginity when I was 25. How can I let go of the regret I feel? And will someone want me in the future? Oh, wow. What a what a deep question. Uh, You know, I think some of it is often, particularly if you've grown up with purity messages of, you know, God wants you to save sex for marriage. We can see that as sort of a pass fail test. Like I've given away something that I can never give back. And while there is a healthy sense of regret. I think for that to have changed your identity, 
is not from the Lord. You know, God doesn't see us as you're either a virgin or you're not a virgin. Like, when we are in Christ, our righteousness is in Him. And so I really think, again, when I mentioned a few minutes ago that our sexual brokenness often involves lies. I hear some lies even in this question that this person is believing. Like, somehow, I'm not a whole person anymore, or I'm damaged, or nobody will want me. And that really is a lie from the enemy, because uh, when you approach somebody in terms of dating and marriage, the person should be looking at who you are today and who you are in Christ today, not the mistake or the choice that you made in the past. Uh, And so I would encourage you really to confront uh, how the enemy might be taunting you. Now, there is a place, again, for regret, to confess that sin. But once we've confessed it, you know, we have to receive God's promise that He cleanses us from all unrighteousness. He forgives us, and He separates us from that sin. Yes, excellent. Okay, next one. Um, this is this is another good one that kind of piggybacks on that one. Okay, so do I need to get over my fear and anxiety about sex if I'm currently unmarried? Uh, yes, you do. And uh, the way you do that is not by having sex. It's by uh, really getting the right perspective of why God created sex in the first place. And so fear and anxiety, you're like, okay, where's that even coming from? You know, is it coming from messages you've you've received from the culture or from the church? Is it coming from fears of inadequacy, like somebody's going to see my body and reject me? Uh, And so, you know, we know in Scripture that God has not given us a spirit of fear. And so if I'm fearful about anything, even if it's the anticipation of someday having sex in my marriage, I want to be like, all right, Lord, you don't want me to live in that fear. And I think that there are some people who even sabotage relationships or the potential for marriage because they have underlying fear, maybe based on past trauma or just things that they've seen or heard. And so I think it's really important to address that fear and get free from it. Sure thing. Yeah. Well, and that could also be, I'm assuming you would recommend, you know, maybe some counseling around that would probably be helpful. Yeah. And most of us can't get to the root of, well, why am I afraid? You know, we really do need that that safe space and the person to ask the questions to kind of uh, unearth when did that fear start and how is it being reinforced? Sure. Okay. All right. Turning a little bit of a corner here, uh, one of our listeners wants to know, how do I stay in relationship with my LGBTQ friends while holding to my convictions around God's design for sexuality? Yeah, Lisa, this is a question that I think a lot of people are asking. And it's some in some ways, we have to just say, how do we stay in relationship with all of our friends who might not be walking with the Lord or know God, uh, who are engaging in a lifestyle or behaviors that God would say, that's not my design. And in reality, we know how to do that with a lot of areas. So we have friends who go out every weekend and party. We have heterosexual friends who sleep around with their boyfriend or girlfriend or who cohabit. Um, We have friends who are greedy. We have friends who gossip. Uh, And for some reason, I think when it comes to LGBT, we feel like we have to, every time we see somebody make a statement about, you know, God doesn't approve of your lifestyle. Uh, But we don't do that with, uh, with other relationships. And so I think what we have to do first is know that, hey, we're called to be light in the darkness. We're called to be testaments of, of the healing and redemption that God is doing in our own lives. If we're, we have a friend who doesn't know the Lord, then 
we are not on a mission to change their sex life. We're on a mission to uh, to help them know the love of Jesus Christ. Uh, and then if you're a friend with a, a believer who is LGBT, then I think, you know, you do a lot of listening and understanding and trying to understand how how they're navigating that with their relationship with the Lord and ask God for wisdom. Um, but ultimately, you know, we should not be treating LGBT people differently than we would treat anyone else in terms of uh, valuing them, uh, spending time with them, understanding their story, showing them love and kindness, and when it's the right time, sharing who Jesus is to us. Sure thing. Yeah. It's so good. I often, when I talk to friends about this, it's interesting. We'll have this conversation about like, yeah, it's so good to be to know and be able to articulate your convictions around this issue because it is huge in our culture right now with same-sex attraction and a lot of, you know, gender dysphoria, other things going on. But exactly what you said. It's not like we're sitting around with our friends and they take a cookie and you're like, well, let me tell you about gluttony and what God says mm-hmm. about it. You know, so it's like really mm-hmm. our our concern, exactly as you said, needs to be for the, the hearts and the souls of people and that they would be aligned with God, with God's and that God would pursue them. So I love that. So, mm-hmm. all right, here's a big one. We have got a huge percentage of our listeners, Julie, who are single. And so one of them wants to know what do you do with your sexual desires while single? Yeah, I think, first of all, you acknowledge them and don't feel weird about having them because it's not like you magically become sexual once you get married. You have those longings, you have those desires. Uh, I think being in a safe community where you can talk about that uh, and you can talk about struggles and you can talk about even the grief of not being married and not having that expression of sexuality that you long for, like that really can help a lot. Uh, But I also think that down deep inside, you know, this is what I think even our society is beginning to realize. You don't need sex. You need intimacy. And uh, a lot of the sexual longings that we feel, yes, some of them are just purely hormonal or biological, but a lot of our longings are actually for intimacy, Uh, that longing to be known, uh, that longing to just feel like somebody's there for you. And so singles who are really navigating this journey well are very intentional about saying, I need intimate relationships. You know, I need good friends. I need strong community. I need people in my life that I know I can count on who ask me good questions and who really care about me. Uh, And uh, people that I think are struggling more are singles who feel like, man, I don't have that. Like all my relationships are more superficial. So I think that goes a long way. And then I'd also say be very conscious of what you're consuming in terms of media, social media, uh, because, you know, sexuality and temptations and sexual thoughts, they're going to become more prominent the more you're confronted with, uh, with shows and music and social media posts that awaken those thoughts and desires. And so... Uh, again, singles that are doing this well uh, would just you sometimes say, "Well, I just can't stream that show, or I just, I just can't listen to that because it it makes my struggle more difficult." Hmm. Um, so, being wise, I think, uh, in the, in that regard, is really helpful. And then I'll say one more thing. I think it's important for singles to realize that in most married relationships, sexuality is still a real struggle. 
it's not like most people get married and all of a sudden they have this wonderful outlet and all their sexual desires are met. You know, the journey of sexual integrity is a difficult journey whether you're single or married. And I think for some singles that can be reassuring because it doesn't feel like, well, married people get to have this great thing that we don't get to have. Uh, you know, as Paul says in First Corinthians 7, there are struggles that married people have too. And so really working on how do I find contentment right where the Lord has me, knowing that there's some things that are hard about this season, but there's also some things uh, and even some struggles that I don't have to deal with uh, that my married friends might be wrestling through. Yeah, absolutely. Okay, so that said, a follow-up to this one is someone just asking, okay, but is masturbation without porn okay as a Christian? Yeah, boy, this is a common and complicated question. Uh, You know, I think it's great that they're qualifying it without porn, but I'd also want to make sure you're qualifying that without sexual fantasy, uh, because you don't have to be looking at something to draw up images of, um, of sex and sexual fantasies. And so when, when masturbation is paired with uh, sexual fantasies or lusting, you know, Jesus is pretty clear that that's not his design for how we steward our sexuality. But outside of that, Lisa, I really think that for a lot of people, uh, masturbation is really more of an issue of wanting, wanting to mature out of that. So instead of it being a moral right or wrong, I think the journey needs to be reframed more in terms of why is this still something that I feel like I need to be doing? Uh, how can I grow in my intimate relationships? How can I grow in my understanding of God's design for my sexuality? How can I find other ways to deal with loneliness or depression uh, or not being able to fall asleep, which are often some of the cues that lead people to masturbation? And so I think we want to we want to reframe this as a goal of a journey of maturity and not just stop doing it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I also want to let folks know, um, you know, Julie answered the question here and gave great insight, but she also wrote an article for us on this subject. And so we're going to link to it in the show notes, or you can go to boundless.org and search is it okay to masturbate? And she has a complete treatment of this, great insights, and goes even deeper into what she said. You know, is there a bigger, deeper question that needs to be answered here? And so um, great, great resource to get some more info on that. All right, last question, Julie. Um, Our listener wants to know, as a woman, is it okay to talk about sex with a guy? Why or why not? And we're assuming here that she's talking about someone who's not your husband. Yeah, uh, you know, I think uh, yes and no. So it's what kind of conversation are you having? So we're talking about sex right now, and there are guys and girls listening, and hopefully it, it sounds very appropriate to be talking about the, about the topic at this level. But I think if I were to delve into my own sexual history and journey and struggles in great detail, this would become a very inappropriate conversation quickly. And so I think uh, I think you need to have discernment of what is the, the tone of this conversation. Is it something that is more at a high level where we're sharing ideas, we're sharing things that we're learning, or is it a very intimate conversation where uh, it's creating maybe a, a, an unhealthy bond of friendship or even in the other person's mind pictures of you sexually, which you don't want... Uh, somebody else thinking about who's not your husband or wife. So I think it's just, again, having that discernment. 
Um, you know, we try to create resources at Authentic Intimacy that are studies for people to go through, and it's appropriate to go through these studies with mixed gender and to learn. Uh, I think it's good for women to learn about men and for men to learn about women uh, and to have empathy and understanding for each other, but it keeps it from getting into those details that might be crossing some boundaries. Mm-hmm. Yeah, perfect. Well, folks, um, this has been Dr. Julie Slattery. She has answered all of your questions. Well, most of them, some for in the interest of time. But continue to submit questions because you know we have the inbox section of our show where we like to answer your questions. We can answer things in the future. Um, but Julie, this has been so helpful in just breaking down a lot of these big categories and the questions that get asked so often here at Boundless. Okay, folks, as promised, I want to let you know about Rethinking Sexuality, God's Design and Why It Matters. Uh, This is a book by Dr. Slattery that we want to make available to you here at Boundless for a gift of any amount. So you go to boundless.org. You can search for 818, this week's episode. You'll see the book cover there. You just click on it. Um, You give a gift to Boundless. You know, we just came off our 25th. We're looking forward to this year's ministry and all the new things we want to do. So you give a gift to boundless we're going to send julie's book as our thank you to you and so i mean just get it you guys i mean get get one for your friends okay because you guys can all maybe work through this and have these conversations in a very biblical mature way and so make that happen and uh, we will certainly send this book again in return and so julie thank you so much for being part of this conversation and lending us your wisdom and expertise Yeah, thanks for giving me an opportunity, and um, congratulations to you, Lisa, and to the Boundless team for 25 years of great work. I was watching and waiting for something to change Looking for someone to come in and save the day I saw the Folks, as we finish out the show, we're opening up our inbox where we answer one of your questions. And today we have one of our fantastic counselors, Angel Perez. Angel, welcome. Thank you. Thank you for the opportunity. Well, this is great. And uh, this is actually your first time on the show, which is fantastic. But um, we love it when our counselors step in because we have to avail ourselves of your expertise. So, But we've got a, we've got a dating question for you today. Mm. So this is good. <laughs> you can use whatever professional or personal expertise you want to use for this. This is fine. So our listener says, if I go out on a first date with a girl and I don't think it's going to go anywhere... Should I cut it off after the date's over, or should I give her another date to see if anything's there? 
I appreciate the question. <laughs> pretty, on, pretty honest. Yeah. yeah. Well, um, some dates may have to be stopped, mm. right, after one outing, depending on the findings. Mm. Uh, it really depends on how conclusive these findings are and your convictions. Maybe there's a God-dishonoring behavior taking place, or um, there's a difference in worldview, or maybe... Um, you know, your sexual integrity is being compromised, you know, something along those lines. But there's four helpful questions um, that you may ask yourself. Number one, what are the deal breakers? Mm -hmm. Number two, what are my convictions regarding God-honoring relationships? Number three, what is the filter I am applying to this date? Am I applying a filter of self-righteousness or self-seeking mentality? What are your expectations, right? Because uh, you may be looking for or something perfect that mm -hmm. checks off all the boxes, mm -hmm. uh, but oftentimes that's not reality, right? And um, number four, am I judging too quickly, mm -hmm. right? Now, however, if the findings are inconclusive, perhaps there's a window of opportunity to explore and remain open about the possibility of a relationship. Um, if this is the case, then keep a posture of curiosity and learn as you go with prudence and always relying on the Holy Spirit for continuous guidance. Now, I will say this, if it, you know, if you end up cutting it, um, do it in a Christ-like manner. Mm -hmm. um, 1 Corinthians sixteen fourteen uh, tells us, do everything with love, right? So, um, 1 Corinthians 4, 5, Lisa, tells us something really interesting. Therefore, judge nothing before the appointed time. Mm -hmm. He will bring to light what is hidden in darkness. Um, it's not telling us not to judge. Mm -hmm. It's telling us that there's a time frame, right? Uh, and judging sometimes um, gets a, a bad rap, uh, mm -hmm. that word. Uh, judging means assessing, okay? Assess uh, what's in front of you. Mm-hmm. Yeah, that's really a great point. And I like how you delineate between the deal breakers, the things that objectively are just no goes for a relationship versus eh, I'm not really feeling it. Because then you could say, yeah, there could be that window there of maybe I can give it another chance. Right. I mean, I often tell young adults, I'm like, man, if everything spiritually and relationally and emotionally, this person seems mature, they seem great, but there's just no quote unquote spark. Yeah. It might behoove you to give it another chance because finding someone healthy is is a lion's share of the work. My and, goodness. And I'm so grateful that my wife did not base her decision to be with me on the first date. Were you, you know, kind of weird? Like, I, I was super nervous. Oh, okay. Good. <laughs> I was okay. a wreck. <laughs> yeah, you were a wreck. <laughs> so see, that's good. You were able to kind of, you know, take a deep breath and second date went better, right. went on from there. Perfect. Yeah. That's a great example of that. So, well, thank you so much for weighing in on that, thank Angel. You. All right, folks. Well, that is it for this week's show. Again, we want to hear from you. You can write to us at editor at boundless.org and submit a question for the future. We would love to answer it here on the show or just hit us up on Instagram or Facebook, wherever you are, if you want to slide into our DMs and, and pose a question there. Um, I'm sure Bree would love to take that question from you and get it to John and I so that we can answer it on a future show. Uh, otherwise, I will see you around next week, guys. Uh, this is Lisa Anderson for The Boundless Show. The Boundless Show is a production of Boundless.org from Focus on the Family. Boundless. 
God wants true disciples, ones that think like him, talk like him, walk like him, disciples that bring shalom to the chaos of this world. Pursue that path with the RVL Discipleship Series. Bible scholar Ray Vanderlaan will give you the tools to understand the Bible more deeply and inspire you to be a passionate follower of Christ. Watch the first episode at rvldiscipleship.com.